There we go. All right. So we are we are in this conversation the last several weeks, uh, uh, which I've called Iron Age Wisdom, and it's the idea that um, that uh, that we we are looking in our world today for uh, wisdom, and uh, we're willing to do the hard work of looking even in in the difficult places like the Iron Age to see if we can find Iron Age wisdom that would still be useful to us here in the 21st century. And the place we're looking for it is Leviticus. And the reason for that is it's probably the most accessible uh, Iron Age wisdom we can find. Um, assuming that there is wisdom, it is more accessible than uh, the, the wisdom of surrounding cultures. It's, it's uh, become such a part of our culture. We can have it. You may have a copy of Leviticus in your own home. And if not, you can have it on your phone. So there's lots of, there's lots of ways we have access to the Iron Age wisdom that we find in um, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the oldest books of the of the Hebrew Scriptures. So we are looking there for our um, wisdom, but uh, but the fact that it is uh, wise or, or the hope that it is wise does not make it easy to find. It doesn't make it easy to understand when we do find it. And um, I think today's passage is, is an example of that. Today we're going to look at um, a very short. Um, a reading of scripture. It is um, the uh, prohibition in Leviticus on tattoos, and it says this. So it says, "Do not cut your bodies for the dead, or mark, uh, put marks on yourselves. I am the Lord." So we're going to look at that, and uh, we're going to look for in it for wisdom. Remember, our our purpose in this in this. Uh, um, uh, conversation has not been to find new rules. I'm sure that you're doing a great job on all the rules that that uh, that you are bound by right now, and you don't need any additional rules. Um, but more than that, we believe as Christians, we're, we're coming at this from a Christian perspective, which says that Jesus fulfilled the law, and in its place, in place of the 613 commandments of the of the uh, uh, Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus gave us a single law, the law of love, to love God and to love. Um, uh, our neighbor. So uh, that's the position we're coming from. So what we're reading here is not for new rules to obey, but but um, but a wisdom that um, we can we can we can use elsewhere in our lives. So um, so what should we do with this passage? Well, like I said, it is hard to understand uh, because it is a flat prohibition. It simply says, "Don't do this," and it's like, well, if Jesus says that the law has been fulfilled. What should we do with it? So, so there's a question right there. But, but beyond that, we can, we can ask, well, well, what does this mean? You know, um, uh, and 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 how can we how can we find the meaning of this? And this is a hard passage because it's the only place it occurs. If you can search the entire Bible from beginning to end, and there's no other prohibitions on tattooing. Um, there's no other mention of tattooing. Uh, in fact, the the word for putting it says put marks on yourselves. The word for tattoo it's the only place it occurs in the entire Bible. So this is it. If if you want to try to understand this, well, you know that's what you've got to work with. Um, and there's no explanation. It doesn't say and do this because blah blah blah. It simply says I am the Lord. It says do it because I said so. And that's a great reason. Except that Jesus has told us, no, that there is a new law in town. It is the law of love. So is this loving? Uh, you know, would it, would it be loving to get a tattoo? Is it unloving to get a tattoo? So, so maybe there's some scenarios that, you know, it could be one or the other, but, but I think it's a lot easier to come up with scenarios where it's unloving to tell other people about their tattoos. You know, that, that's, that's terrible or that's great or whatever, right? You, you better get one. You know, that there's unloving things we could do around the area of tattoos. So, so what do we do with this? Do we just kind of shrug and say, well, it may be Iron Age, but it's not wisdom, or at least I can't see any wisdom. Do we just shrug and say, I don't know what to do with this? Well, if this was the only thing in the Bible, 
that fit that category, then we might want to do it. But but there are other places. As you read the Bible, you will find there are other places that are that are maybe not this hard to understand, but but that are difficult. And it's like, what what should I do with the parts of the Bible that I don't understand? So what we're going to do today is look at a part of the Bible that is very hard to understand. I mean, we understand what it says, but to understand what should we do with it, to understand, is there any wisdom here? Um, I'm hoping that by doing it with a very small and and straightforward part of Scripture, we can actually um, get get an idea of how better to look for wisdom in other places as well. So, so uh, what what can we say about um, this? Well, it says, uh, "Do not cut your bodies for the dead, or put marks on yourselves. I am the Lord." So, uh, put marks on yourselves. What does that mean? Well, uh, we can look for something that's a little more um, general than that, and we do see a couple of places in the scriptures where it talks about putting marks on yourselves, or actually having marks put on you. For example, in the um, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, God uh, says to to put marks on um, people depending on whether they were happy with what was going on or whether they were unhappy. So um, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and mark the foreheads of all those who sigh and groan because of the detestable practices that have been conducted in it. So so basically there's a mark that will then be used to separate people into different categories. So uh, for, for Christians, this may remind us of the story of the, the uh, or the, the passage in, in Revelation about the number of the uh, the mark of the beast, which is given to people who buy and trade and so forth. So, so it may re- remind us of that. But the point is that's something that people are uh, having done to them for a purpose that is articulated. But there is no purpose that's articulated here. It doesn't say, so that then I can sort out who's good and who's bad. And, you know, that tattoo is really ugly, but this one over here is really pretty. You know, it doesn't tell us what the criterion would be. It simply says that there is this mark in this other passage. And, and just by the way, it's a different word for, for marking. So it's not even clear how, how relatable it is. So, so we can't look in the Bible and find other places passages that talk about marking. There's nothing that that would connect it to this passage. But we can look at some of the other parts of this of this area of this of this context. So our first clue is that this passage is half of or, or the prohibition on tattoos is half of a sentence. So um, that's always a tripwire. If somebody comes up to you and gives you half of a verse of scripture or half of half of a sentence from from the Bible, you're perfectly justified in saying, "Well, what is the rest of that sentence?" You know that that's a good thing to ask because otherwise people may be trying to manipulate you. So let's look at the rest of the um, of the uh, of that sentence, and then there's just a short paragraph, uh, just two verses that are part of that paragraph. So let's look at both of those so we get a little bit of context. It says, you must not cut off the hair of your forehead or clip the ends of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put marks on yourself. So we've got a little bit more context now, and now we can look at some other things and say maybe in the eyes of the original readers and writers of, of Leviticus, um, the copyists and everybody who brought it down to to the form we have it in, um, and and the the original community that heard it, um, for them there, there may have been some connection in their minds between tattoos and the the business with the shaving the head and and um, uh, clipping the ends of your beard and so forth. So what do we know about that? Well, we can look at that. It turns out that's found uh, in, in many places in the scriptures. In fact, it's found just two chapters later talking about um, the same thing for the priest. It's saying the, the priest, the, in 19, it's for everybody. 
in 21, it repeats that injunction for the priest. And it says, when they're mourning, a priest must not uh, shave bald patches on their heads or cut off the ends of their beards or make gashes in their bodies. So, um, so it says that, that these are the mourning practices people did when they were, when they were, um, uh, in mourning. And, uh, the reason, uh, seems to have been that this idea of you want to show that you're sad, you want to show that you're bereaved and, and you're grieving. Um, and, and in some cases, you're showing that to the community. Hey, leave me alone. I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff right now. Just kind of, you know, help me if you can, but please don't, you know, give me some space. So in that sense, maybe you're just showing other people in the community. But, but the other person you want to, you want to grieve before, you want to kind of be open about your grieving is God. You want to say, hey, I need some help here. You know, I'm brokenhearted. Can you give me some help? So the idea is that you do this outward display, not, uh, um, because it's, it's a way, uh, maybe because it's a way of processing your grief, but especially to, to appeal for help from the people around you. I need some space or I need, I need you to kind of help me with my, my terrible circumstances. So, so there's a reason you would want to communicate that. And that was what people did in that culture, the shaving, shaving the beard and the head and so forth. But interestingly, it's, it's connected to this idea of cutting yourself. And that was not a part of Israelite culture. It was a part, <clears throat> was a part of the surrounding, um, cultures. But for whatever reason, the Israelites didn't do much of that. And I think the, the reason may have had to do with, um, um, uh, what we see in, um, I will, how many of those are there? So I've got like four copies of the same verse. So, um, so the the reason may be what we see in in the story of uh, Elijah at Mount Carmel, where Elijah uh, challenges the prophets of Baal to this to this uh, demonstration. You know, is your God more powerful than my God? And the prophets of Baal uh, accept the challenge, and then they go on to to not succeed at winning that challenge. So they they invoke the the Baal, saying, you know, do this thing, and the Baal never does anything. Um, so, so, <clears throat> so they get more and more desperate because they, they're embarrassed now and they want, they want their God to do something. And so they, they begin cutting themselves, it says. So the prophets of Baal cried with a louder voice and cut themselves with swords and knives, as was their custom, and the blood flowed all over them. And of course, if you know the story, the Baal never does anything. So they end up losing that little contest. So, um, because God does act. So, um, in that case, that, that was a kind of a rejection of the, of the practices of the surrounding cultures. And the reason for that is that, um, is that, uh, God has, God has set the parameters. God said, I'm different from that, that Baal. That, you know, the, we would say the most prominent difference is that God is real and, and the Baal is, is fictitious. But beyond that, God is saying, I'm a different kind of God. That the sorts of things that the surrounding culture's gods require, that's not me. I'm a holy God. I'm different from what you think of as God. And he says, he says in, uh, throughout the book of Leviticus, but especially in chapter 19, he says several times, um, uh, you must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. I'm different. I am, I'm set apart. There's, there's distance between me and your mental category of God because those gods are not like me. And in the same way, I don't want you to be like the worshipers of those gods. You must be holy because I am holy. So the idea there is that God has told his people what rituals honor him. So the first, the first point, the, the first bit of wisdom we can, we can, um, uh, obtained from this passage is that God gets to decide that you and I may think that God would be honored by something, but God has told us what honors him. And um, 
And there's a couple of reasons why that is wise. The first one is that people come up with really bad ideas, like cutting themselves with swords. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go to that church. I'm sorry. I'm chicken. I don't like the sight of blood, right? But but it's a bad idea. You know, there's a there's a thing. You know, and you can you can fill in the gaps, right? You know, uh, uh, child sacrifice, whatever whatever you may want to do. Right? People have come up with some terrible things. Um, one of one of the things I've noticed um, in in conversations, this is kind of waning now, but back up, you know, over the last couple of decades, the the new atheist movement kind of had a had a little peak. And uh, one of the things they said is that you know that that the the problem with religion is that God always required these terrible things from from um, the the observers and you know the 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 God of the Bible as well as other other religions that they do they they demand these terrible things and and they would point at things like you know cutting yourself or or child sacrifice or whatever and they would say this is the problem with with religion and. And I would actually agree with them that, 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 because they also say, they also say, there is no God, right? I'm an atheist, there is no God, so when I tell you that God demands these things, then what I'm really saying is people made that up. So, if you're an atheist and you say that your holy book is always demanding terrible things, what you're saying is people came up with terrible things and they put them in their holy book. And I would agree that there are terrible things, or at least in the case of the Bible, I would say there are very troublesome things uh, that, that give me pause. And, and I want to know, what does that mean? I want to actually do the kind of work we're doing today. What, what's behind that? Why, do, why would they do that? So, so I, I would agree with them that it's something that we need to be careful about because people do come up with terrible things. And so if we have that idea, then it's a good thing to have a list, that God has given us a list because... God does not want you to just kind of indulge your your imagination and say, "I bet God would be delighted if I, you know, killed all my neighbors or something." You know, you know that that's that's a bad thing. It's a better thing to have a list. So, so God has told us what rituals honor God, but there's another reason, and 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 it's for the things that are maybe more innocuous. You know, that 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 if we if we have um, if we have the freedom to pick how we honor God. Then we're going to pick the ways that are easy. This is just what we do. Jesus tells the the religious elite in his day. He says, "You are exacting in your observance of the um, of the law. You you tithe the dill and the mint and the cumin, right? You you do these little small things just wonderfully. You knock that out of the park, but you neglect the matters of of justice and mercy, right? That that Jesus says you're doing the easy thing." And expecting to get points, and in fact, Jesus is is essentially uh, saying what has been a critic uh, a critique um, by God uh, from from back seven hundred years earlier. The prophet Amos said, uh, or speaking to the prophet Amos, God said, "Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. Don't come into the worship space singing your songs and you know uh, plucking your harps. Don't go doing that until you've done what else I re- demand, which is." Justice and mercy. Let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Don't just show up on Sunday and the butter not melt in your mouth when you've been a terrible person all week. That's the idea. You don't get to pick what kind of rituals will satisfy God or honor God. So, so there's a, there's a, there's deep wisdom in the idea of letting God tell you what honors Him. And the Apostle Paul says for Christians, he says, he says, and 
one of the things we can say as we look at all those those rules in the in the Hebrew scriptures, we can say that God has set them aside or fulfilled them in Christ, and we have a new set of rules that that God no longer wants. You know, I'm done with dead animals. I don't need any more dead animals. Thank you very much. So instead of bringing me a dead goat or a dead bull, what I want you to do is I want you to bring me a living sacrifice. I want me to bring. You want you to bring yourself and put your life at my disposal so that I can make you into who I want you to become. So we have um, we have the idea that that God gets to decide what rituals we should use to honor Him. And underneath that, so that's, 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 that, I think that that's wise, Iron Age or not. I think that that's wise. But underneath it, there's a deeper layer of significance, which is the idea that we, um, that, that God knows what He's doing. That God doesn't make mistakes. And in particular, um, we should, we should realize that, that, um, that we don't need to change what God made. We don't need to change who we are. So that God will like us. So don't change what God likes about you. Don't don't change what God likes about you because God hasn't made a mistake. So in the um, in the the scriptures uh, throughout the scriptures is this idea that that God was in charge of who you are. That that um, it wasn't the random dance of DNA. That God was was involved in your construction in your mother's womb. Uh, uh, Jeremiah says or th- says to Jeremiah. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set apart. And he tells the psalmist, uh, or the psalmist refers to him and says, You are the one who created my inmost parts. You knit me together while I was still in my mother's room. That God, God was the one who determined who you would, who would you, who you would be. And not, you know, random chromosomal, you know, combinations and so forth. And that means that, that, um, that God Determined, you know, are you going to be white or black or brown? Are you going to be male or female? God made these decisions and he's okay with the result. That God is happy with the result and you don't have to decide, well, maybe there was some kind of mistake. That God, God made that decision about you. And, um, and that doesn't mean that you may not need to change. That, that you can say, look, God made me this, this particular way, but I may still need to change. Jesus says, Jesus says that, um, that, uh, if your right hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose a part of your body than that your whole body go to hell. So Jesus says that there may be circumstances that are so desperate that you have to change your body to get out of those circumstances. When I when I read read that passage again, I was thinking of the stories about the haiku who gets trapped under a boulder or something, and they literally have to, you know, saw off their arm with a pin knife or something terrible like that. You know, I mean just a horrific idea. But but Jesus is saying, you know, there are circumstances you may find yourself in a place where you actually have to make changes deep deep changes to your circumstances and even to your body. That that's how important it is. So, so, uh, Jesus is saying that there, there may be circumstances where you may have to alter your body. But, um, but we also know that sometimes God may change your body. In, in the, the book of Genesis, it says, uh, Cain has just killed his brother Abel. He just murdered his brother Abel. Um, and then he lies to God about, about it. And then he says, my punishment is too much to bear. And God, says, I'll protect you. 
you know, it, it's an amazing story. There's, you know, someday I have to preach on Cain and Abel because it will be great. But, but um, it's a great story. God protects this person who has just committed the first act of murder. God still protects him. And the way God does that is by giving him a mark. And again, this is not a tattoo, but I think it's in the same zip code as tattoo, so we can maybe learn something from it. God changes his body. God puts some permanent alteration in Cain's body so that he would be protected. When I was in third grade, I was in a bicycling accident, and um, I I learned that you shouldn't land on your face and slide about ten feet. And and um, but I lived. I'm still here. But I think if that had not happened, then I would have gone into show business and been a famous actor. But now, as it is, I've got kind of this lopsided head, and and um, and you know. I, I think God maybe was was protecting me from the temptations. You know, I'd wind up, you know, with a, you know, the the Luke Jones clinic or something. You know, because because I couldn't handle the pressure. So maybe maybe my face is God's uh, mark of Cain for me. I don't know, but um, but maybe God just likes faces like mine. I don't know, but but um, but that idea that that God that even though God made you, you may need to change. And in fact, God may be the one who who arranges that change. So, so there's not like a prohibition. If you're somehow, you know, ever changed, then you're you're in real trouble with God. Um, but, but the idea is that if you change, you should change for the right reason. That that you should change. You know, uh, you decide to lose some weight. Okay, that's changing your body. Okay, if you do that because you want to feel pretty, if if you want your doctor to quit nagging you, there's all kinds of... Okay, awesome. Okay. All right. Um, so, all right. Um, where was I? So, you're dieting, right? Your doctor will quit nagging you if you lose some weight. Those are good reasons, right? But a bad reason would be because God doesn't like fat people. That's a terrible reason to lose weight. You know... Test me on this. Stay fat your whole life and see if God starts hating you. He will not. God loves you. And in fact, um, um, we, we read in uh, the, the passage I, I mentioned to the children, um, God says through the prophet Isaiah, can a woman forget her nursing womb and fail to pity the child of her womb? You know, <laughs> no, of course not. That's a dumb question. That could never happen. But God says... Even these may forget, but I won't forget you. Look, my name is inscribed on your palm. Right? God is never going to look at that and say, what was I thinking? You know, I was young and I was drunk. You know, that is not, God is not going to do that. God, God made a decision. Your name is on my palm. I love you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. And it's not about your body. And I guess on the subject of God's tattoos, there there is one other reference uh, that maybe is a tattoo. We read in the book of Revelation about Jesus. It says, on his name is written a, um, uh, or on his robe and on his thigh is written a name, which is uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So maybe Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh. So um, if so, that's what it says. So, um, so. Uh, tattoos on God. Um, the 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 key point there is that is that God loves you, and your body is not going to change that one way or the other. And in fact, um, the reality is, God cares very much about your body, but He knows that circumstances sometimes require it to change. You know, maybe in your case, 
you're losing your vision because of macular degeneration. Maybe you lost a part of your body because they said... <laughs> lots, lots of um, Circumstances may change. You know, you, they, they may have to take a part of your body because they want to be aggressive about making sure they got all the cancer. There are things that will cause your, over the course of your life, that will cause your body to be changed. Sometimes you have a decision in that, and sometimes there's no decision. You don't get to make the decision. And there's an incredibly tender passage in the book of Isaiah where God says, don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry fruit. You know, I'm a eunuch. I can no longer bear fruit, right? Don't let the eunuch say that. And then he goes on and explains, and then he says, my house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples. That there is nobody who has been damaged, who has been disfigured, who has been disabled so badly that they cannot be included in the fellowship of God's people. And that God will, in the resurrection, restore and renew anybody. Because God likes bodies. When God invented bodies, he knew that they would have to be fit to live in. The Apostle Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that you have the Holy Spirit from God and that you don't belong to yourselves? Bodies matter. Bodies matter a lot. And this is something that people have trouble with. Um, There was an idea that was very common throughout the ancient world. Um, uh, Christianity rejected it really from the very beginning, um, as we'll see. But it's still around today. Maybe you saw this week that Mark Zuckerberg is planning to remake Facebook so that you'll basically sit in your pod and you'll jack in and then your world will get pretty, right? No matter how ugly the place you live is, you'll be in an exciting and dynamic place with the waves and so forth. Uh, I, I encourage you to watch that video and, and decide if that's the future you want to live in. Um, but uh, but that's that's what's on offer. But it's this idea that what happens to your body is really unimportant, right? It's it's the mind. I want to feed the mind that there's there's this me that's inside my head, and that's the me that matters. And what happens with this thing? I don't care. It's a temporary thing. I'm you know I will I will transcend to a higher plane, and then I will no longer be bound by this mortal coil. There's this there's this notion that we see over and over again, and Christianity rejects it. Um, the idea is that the real you is a body and a soul. Your real you is your body and your soul. It's not simply your soul. God likes bodies. God invented bodies. The Lord God formed the human from this topsoil of the fertile land and blew, blew life's breath into his nostrils and the human came to life. That we were made by God for God's purposes. And even before we sinned, God was perfectly happy with the idea of a body. And we say, yeah, but bodies are so limiting. You know, I can't be in two places. There's all these things that, you know, that make it hard to, to live in a body. You know, I want to, I long for that, you know, virtual uniform universe where, you know, everything's all, you know, whatever I want it to be, you know, or things like that. You know, that, that there's that, 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 that appeal of, of that, that mindset that, that our bodies are somehow limiting. I think we have no idea how unlimited our bodies can be. I mean, after all, all the fullness of deity dwelt in Christ's body. You know, that's, 
That's an amazing statement in the book of Colossians, that the fullness of God dwelt in a body. So when you think my body's limited, you know, what can your body do through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you? I think most of us have no idea. But the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. So give that some thought. This idea, this idea that somehow there was a better plane of existence and we would all just be Star Trek energy beings and, you know, there would be no more, no more, you know, crude matter that, that we, you know, we're luminous beings and not, not crude matter. That idea was, was pervasive in the, in the ancient world and, uh, as, as people adopted Christianity, they kept trying to smuggle it in. And the Apostle John says in his letter, he says, no, that's not true. He says, this is how you know a spirit comes from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come as a human being is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess that, they're not from God. That it's that, that important. This idea that God loves bodies. God loves bodies enough for his son to, to have one, for his Holy Spirit to live in one. This is uh, an, an important idea in Christianity. And the reason is because we all have bodies. Bodies do matter. And the, the risk, the risk, if I start saying, well, what happens with my body isn't any important, isn't important, is then I start saying, and what happens to your body isn't important either. And then I say, you know what, you're starving and you're hungry, but that's okay. Soon enough, you will graduate to a higher plane. And I can be indifferent to your bodily needs because it's just a body. Just a few verses before in chapter 3, John says in the same letter, he says, if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Bodies matter. Jesus talks about this in one of his most disturbing parables. He talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats. And he says, the king notices these things. He says, I was hungry. When that other person was hungry, when their body was hungry, I was that person hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. My body was thirsty. And you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked. My body needed clothing and you gave me something to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. And I don't want to take anything away from mental illness, but Jesus is talking about plain old bodily illness too. I was in prison. My body was in a cage and you visited me. Bodies matter. The town we used to live in, they had billboards. There's a lot of, you know, California highways, right? Lots and lots of billboards. And I used to see signs all the time. There were signs for every kind of change you might possibly want to make your, for your body. They, there was people offering, you know, uh, facelifts, nose jobs, breast implants, LASIK, you know, you name it. You could change your body. And the stores were full of, you know, baldness remedies and, and hair dye and, and things like that. And of course, there were a lot of tattoo parlors too. And I don't know why people purchased those, those products and services. And it's not my place to judge. 
But, you know, if I sat down and listened to their story, they'd probably have a good reason. And, I mean, a, a really good reason. I'd say, that makes sense. You know, you know, maybe they want to, to increase their job opportunities. Maybe they, they just want to give themselves some more self-confidence. Maybe they want to, to, um, uh, uh, have more potential for artistic or sexual expression, um, uh, you know, they, they would have a good reason. And, and I would probably agree with those reasons if I knew the reasons. Maybe they just wanted to enjoy life more. Those are good reasons. There's really only one bad reason to change your body, and it's to make God like you. Because God does like you. God loves you. He knows the things you're struggling with. He knows the things that have made your your journey hard or easy. He knows the people who've been helping you along the way or refusing to help. And he knows what has happened to your body. He knows the, the, the disfigurement and the damage, the corruption of this corrupting world. He knows all that and he loves you. Your name is written on his palm. And he promises, whatever whatever has happened to your body, whatever you've done to your body, whatever mistakes you make or whatever indignities you've absorbed, he promises that he will renew and restore your body in the resurrection. Because bodies matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for our bodies. Uh, Lord, you know I just turned 60, and you've heard some complaining about my body. But I thank you for it, nevertheless. Lord, help me, help us all to resist the, the temptation to ignore our bodies or to think of them as unimportant, but to treasure them as the gifts they are and to see them that way in other people so that we can hurt when other people hurt. Lord, we look forward to the day when our bodies will be renewed and restored, and we give you thanks for the promise and the hope we have in the resurrection through Jesus Christ. Amen.